he is the victim of a crime. We have agreed never to go back. Never. What was the purpose of our leaving? Let us not forget it was out of hope of something good and right. You should not have made decisions without us. I'm guilty, Robert. The puzzle theory is that it helps your mind. I mean, it helps your mind anyway, so um, you, you can expand your knowledge um, or maybe colors, movements, um, and stuff like that. You can, um, it helps expand your memory. So you've got to remember all the algorithms. Um, so things like maybe U, U prime, F, R, L, B prime. So that, that can expand your memory. And I have to admit, they are really fun to show off with. Natasha, come out, come out wherever you are. Here I am, darling. I was just hanging up these new cobwebs. Foreign agents are supposed to notify the Attorney General before working in the U.S. It's only a matter of crime, Natasha. And if the alleged spies are found guilty of breaking that federal law, they could get up to five years in prison. If you can't find your way through your messy garage, it's time to get things back in order with these garage organization companies. New Jersey is a big place. New Jersey is close to New York close to Philadelphia, so you get a broad range of different kinds of accents in New Jersey. We're going to go for more of a North Jersey accent, so kind of on the more New York-ish tip. So let's work on this oral posture. So the lip corners move back and forth a lot, and the tongue is high, and sometimes it's so high that you get some of that nasal quality to the sound like that, so if you want to sigh through that sound, you get a ha, ha sound. The ah sound becomes oh, so mall, thought, becomes mall, thought. Coffee and often become coffee and often. And notice that I use that T in the word often, and that sometimes pops up in a jerky accent. Scraping the depths of dogs filled with the uniforms of the working class. High fashion fucks its fancy. You deserve your labor aesthetic, the denizens of hot couture scream in venomous howls. Your delivery shorts. Your timber harvesting jackets. The sweat on your brow is our milk. Tarantula duck double stone chauncey moose roofer banana bonanza Whippington bobo titmouse. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, you secretly watching the Jersey Shore Screedlers. This is Stefan Lee, the podcast studio manager. To be quite frank, I don't even know if you deserve the episode that we're bringing you today, what with the way that you've been behaving online and all. But we here at Humor and the Abject are a generous bunch. You might even call us saints, martyrs for content. And so, we will look past your terrible takes. For now, that is. We've got writer Erin Schwartz as our guest. And she is one of the best people you'll ever have the pleasure of listening to. Are you ready? That's what I thought. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm 
Ira Glass, welcome to Jackass. It's episode 64 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. Welcome to summer, Screedlers. People are going fucking nuts outside. It's exciting. Everybody's everybody's bopping. People are having a fucking wild time in the park across the street from my house today. It is Memorial Day weekend, and you all know what that means. Uh, the rich people are abandoning the sweltering island of Manhattan for those breezy beaches of the Hamptons. They're hopping on that Long Island Railroad or packing up the Tesla and heading east, baby. Uh, so, you know, it's just us uh, financially challenged fucks here in the five boroughs for the next several months until those wealthy folk uh, grace us once again with their presence after Labor Day. So um, it's it's... It's mayhem out there. It's total anarchy. Now, on, on this week's episode, I've got writer Aaron Schwartz. Aaron and I met in the backyard of American Medium uh, when it was in Bedside a couple years ago during a release of the science fiction zine New World Unlimited that I uh, put together with Daniel Glendening and Michael Welsh and uh, my nearest and dearest Claire. Um, Aaron had just moved to New York from Providence, uh, Rhode Island. That's right, Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, she's been a pal ever since. Um, right now, recently, somewhat recently, she has become an assistant editor at Vice's imprint Garage, where she's writing with her usual wit and rigor about all kinds of culture. Uh, she's also the co-editor of the publication Natasha, which you're going to learn about today if you don't already know. I had so much fun talking with her, and I hope that you enjoy the episode. So crack a tall boy, kick your feet up, and get ready for some giggles. Here's my conversation with Aaron Schwartz. Um, okay, cool. Are you, uh, you ready to go? I'm good, I'm okay, good. Okay, cool. Uh, well, Aaron Schwartz, welcome to Humor and the Abject. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Yeah, how is the summer treating you so far? It's very hot today, I know. Yeah, it's treating me well so far. Um... I like the summer. I don't like the winter. I don't like going outside and feeling just pain all over my body because mm -hmm. of the temperature the air is. Mm -hmm. So, so far, so far I haven't like put in a fan or an air conditioner because Ooh. I feel like those things are sort of like make you a little bit weak. weak. You just well, have you, to sweat it out you in your me, room. I offered you water earlier and you told me that ice in it was, what did you say? Decadent. Decadent. Yeah. So you're just going to punish yourself. Yeah. Well, right. I grew up Catholic. I understand that. Right. right. And I grew up <laughs> Protestant. And I think you kind of end up in a similar place where you're like, mm, you know, yeah. if I sweat this one out myself, I get a few points. It's kind of, yeah. If you do one more day without the AC, it feels like, um, I feel like I'm stronger for it. Yeah, we, totally. haven't, we haven't put ours in yet either. And I think it'll be uh, eventually we will do it, but also I'm lazy and they're extremely heavy. And if you look behind you, you can see both of them up on top of our cupboards there. So oh yeah. The other two. problem is like, I can't get them down because <laughs> I'm five feet tall. Um, do you have any big plans for this? Time? Are you going back to mm. Jersey? I'm first of all. constantly going back to Jersey. The, they're naming a path train car after me. <laughs> one car. One, just one car. Wait, um, like how on the Metro North, there's like the Ichabod Crane train that you can ride. They what? All have, the trains are named. I didn't know that. Yeah, I've like never ships. taken... Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, I really miss the dates when they used to name like trains mm -hmm. and train lines. It's cute. Like I the Penzi. 
The Penzi. I think Where's the Penzi went to Penn Station. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. From Jersey? From somewhere. I don't know. I think it passed through Jersey. It was like looking up Everything train Everything passes through New Jersey. I Everything like. of value. Yeah, it comes either in through the ports or like on the turnpike. <laughs> um, I do have, yeah, I'm probably going out to Jersey just to visit my family. Um, and I'm going to Cape Cod with my mom and my Whoa, sister. Whoa, that's decadent. It is decadent. Wait, where's, I know. is Cape Cod in Massachusetts? It is in Massachusetts. Okay, yeah. I only know it. Um, does it have a lighthouse? Because I it think has I, like I think many lighthouses. I think I've seen a bag of chips. Oh, it's it like has Cape Cod chips. Yeah, those are actually um, owned by the government of. A, it's kind of like a socialized. You know how in Russia, the government owns all the gas companies. Oh, yeah, the I government didn't... of Cape Cod owns those chips. <laughs> no, they, are you fucking with me? No, I'm fucking with you. That's not true. <laughs> um, that's cool. Yeah, I feel like. I always want to know if people have <clears throat> like summer plans in New York because it like it doesn't it doesn't want you to leave. Right, it, like, right. It won't let you leave the city. It, it is really inconvenient. Like, do you mean like the transit options every, for leaving? Every part of it or just how expensive being here is. So it makes the idea of buying a plane ticket somewhere like insane. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I only get to do one. I'm gonna, my sister's getting married in July. Oh, and nice. And that's the only, that's my trip. I'm where going, are you going? For like three days to northern Michigan where I grew up. Cute. <laughs> yeah. That sounds great. Um, is she excited? I think so. Yeah. No, she is. It's kind of like a... Um, this is, <laughs> no, she's um, her boyfriend, her fiance, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known him. He's from my hometown. Like, they didn't date in high school or college. They got together, like, as adults. But I've known this dude, like, my whole life. So, like, my family knows him. So, it's kind of just like... It's almost like a formality at this point. They've been right. together forever. And so it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, all right, well, we got to do the legal thing. So I think she's very excited, but it's kind of like when she was like, we're getting married. It was almost like a, it was more of a, like, almost like a Google calendar reminder or like, invite. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because right. I was like, oh yeah, I mean, they've been living together for like eight years. So right, right. They were common law married in Canada when they lived there. So Whoa. they like, I mean, I, I'm just like, oh, you guys aren't married, right? Right. It's like, yeah, it's like. <laughs> What weekend are you free? Like, so, just gonna go to the beach this weekend. Like the next one works better. This is yeah. not a podcast about my sister's wedding. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> is this another uh, episode of Sean's sister's wedding? Uh, yes, we're coming to you live from Traverse City, Michigan, at the reception. Um, <laughs> what will the flowers be? Will they be good or even better? <laughs> um, so I want to talk about your writing, um, yeah. and I want to get into that because I mean, you have bylines with New York Review Books, Bloomberg, Vice, uh, Real Life. Um, I know you used to write for the something in providence like the campus newspaper oh, the dug, college hill independent dug that up the indie is Holy the website shit. right yeah. yeah but anyways but in addition to all of those things so you you recently took on a new role at one of vice's imprints which is garage yes. so can you tell me a little bit about the new role and also what garage is because it's a new ish yeah vice uh, umbrella thing right yeah so garage is um associated with a contemporary art museum in Moscow that was started by Dasha Zukova. And they started a magazine sort of associated with it. The magazine became its own thing. I think it was around for maybe seven years before Vice bought it, but it didn't really have a web presence. It so I think print. Yeah, it's okay. a print magazine yeah, and yeah. it still is. It's mm. this massive book. It's like it's like huge. Oh, wait. It, it's, it's like a tome. It, it was like once or twice a year, right? Yeah, it's twice okay, a year. Got it. Yeah, We're working yeah. on the next one and I think <laughs> it's going to be very cool. <laughs> There's like a lot of good, very smart stuff and also like... Since it's only twice a year, you can just 
dream up these really wacky things. And I think I'm probably not allowed to say what any of them are, but some of them are like very cool. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I think Vice bought Garage, I want to say in August. And I think Vice, and so that is where the web presence comes from. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm the assistant editor there. Nice. Yeah. And it's fun. I mean, it's sort of exciting because we cover the, the garage magazine covered contemporary art and fashion. And we are covering those topics and a lot of pop culture, some design, but I don't know. It's, it's a cool place because I think we can, I think a lot of us sort of like zany, rigorous culture writing that is like fun and about like you know like entertaining to read but also has like high critical standards yeah yeah i mean in as a writer you have like a i mean just on garage you have a pretty prolific output and yes. writing about <laughs> writing about <laughs> i mean just i have a note here that like it, i was looking at like your author page and just from the last few months i mean you're writing about like ben carson's dining room set scandal oh, that thing um that's the, my favorite thing the march for our lives the jersey shore reboot dior saddlebags tote bags the decolonization of contemporary art museums uh dining trends like sea urchins or gold leafed chicken wings and things like that uh as well as like a friend of the pod alex de Cortez art yes. show so but this huge Great art show so if you don't mind my asking like what's the thread i mean what's this is thread? like really lots of stuff i feel like the thread is sort of i mean i think one thing that's nice garage is a very small team one thing that's nice is that i think we get some leeway to cover you're better at writing something if you're very interested in it yeah so i mean we we write we write a lot a week to just kind of like keep up the website but i think the thread is like these things tend to be things I have like a very strongly held personal theory about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they do kind of all fit together. I mean, there's like, they're pretty eclectic because I'm the only writer who isn't tied to a specific section. Like we have a fashion features editor who's okay. Rachel Tashin. She's amazing. And Paige Bradley, who's also amazing is our arts editor. Oh yeah. Paige so, K Bradley. Paige K Bradley. Yeah, Paige yeah, K Bradley name. is, name, yeah. she, she like is, um, she's also like the headline queen. Okay. Um, like she, she was like writing a freeze recap, uh. which are normally like pretty, like, you know what you're getting. Um, and it was amazing. She, it was beautiful, but like, you know, it's a format that's kind of hard to break out of. And she just titled yeah, yeah. it. It's freeze week, bitch. And the story went around before it was published. And I was like, Oh my God, or is this a working title? And then I was like, is it a working title? She's like, nope, that's what we're going with. And I was like, damn, that's cool. That seems like it, though, it just gets to the point though, because everybody else is like sort of, um, like the art fair around us are always this kind of smarmy, like we went to the art fair and we fucking hated it. And it's like, right. why do you keep going? Like, right, stop right. going. If you don't like it, stop going. You don't have to go to the fair. Yeah, it's so easy to <laughs> so be like enthusiastic the, about so, things. Yeah, but I like the it's Freeze Week, bitch. Like, um, yeah, that's, I mean, I brought this up a couple of other times on the pod, but if you can get her to work in a My Good Bitch into the title of something, that's like my favorite. My Good Bitch? Yeah. What does that, what's that? It's just like, oh, hello, My Good Bitch. Hello, and My Good Bitch. Like, oh, I like it. I like it. It's, like, it's kind of like de weaponizing the word bitch. Oh, nice. It's be yeah. like, oh, Get green. the word bitch to put down its chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. That word bitch. Really okay. got to tone it down. This is extremely tangential, and I don't know why I was reading this recently, but I decided to look. You know Genius? Like the annotation like lyrics right, right. website yeah, yeah. that started like Rap Genius, but now just Genius Annotation. Whatever. But I go in there I, a lot to look at musical lyrics. Yeah, so I went and I was like, I'm really curious what... Um, 
what the masses have to say about like Limp Biscuits lyrics. Oh. And um, they were less entertaining than it was less entertaining than I thought it would be, but also because there's not a lot to unpack in a Limp Biscuit lyric, which that's my fault for assuming that people <laughs> would have some deeper <laughs> takes. Forever. But do you know that song Break Stuff? I don't. It's just like, it's, <laughs> Can you sing a little? It's, it's just like the guitar riff is literally just. Duh, 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 <laughs> and then it's just like, it's just one of those days. And it's like, and just the chorus is give me something to break or like, I want to break stuff is the thing in the song. But there's like a bridge in cool. it where there's a line that says, and this is what reminds me of what you just said. He says, I pack a chainsaw. I'll skin your ass raw. Oh my god! And if my day keeps going this way, I just might break something tonight. Um, and the annotation was something like Fred is so upset that he's carrying a chainsaw with him, and he will use it to uh, skin your ass raw. And I was like, but I mean, you just put a couple extra words <laughs> in line, but, and then there was like a, I don't know exactly how genius works, but there's like a, not like approved annotation, but like a suggestion. Is it kind of like Wikipedia, you know, or something, but right. and there's another one that was like, I think he's saying by raw, he's saying that he'll have unprotected sex with your ass with the chainsaw. And I was like, I, my God, that Jeez I Louise. Know. But um Which interpretation do you think is correct? I just thought Both it meant are horrifying. Like, I just thought it meant like, I'll, you know, cut your butt up. Right, right. Like but I, I also like... Skin, like, ew. take the skin off your butt. I don't think you can do that with a chainsaw. No. Oh, well, have you seen, like, these chainsaw carvers in the Pacific Northwest who, like, a like a timber log, and they'll turn it, it looks like a bear. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, you that's... carve away. They have a delicate hand. I stand corrected. It's often... <laughs> <laughs> I often find... I do believe that someone could skin a butt with a chainsaw <laughs> now <laughs> because a guy can just... make a wood sculpture with it. I guess, oh. um, but uh, anyway... <laughs> so, no, but, but so that's that's cool. It seems like the, the site um, for Garage, what you're doing within the angle and things that are coming in is really about being able to, like you said, bring like a rigorous voice to talk about things that maybe that isn't normally uh associated with or like you might think of as like a puff piece and there there was one i mean you've written you've written a bunch about fashion for it and one in particular that was it's not it's like from march maybe or not too long ago but it was about um basically like this appropriation by high fashion brands of kind of like working class attire like dhl uniforms or like you i think used an anecdote in the beginning that um your mom is an er technician technician and so like the kind of the scrubs yeah and then all of a sudden those scrubs are on a runway and you're just like oh my god like yeah you're like why is it yeah would you talk a little bit about that article and kind of what what you were presenting in it or like the for lack of a better term like the argument that you were sort of bringing forward about what are these brands doing with I guess basically like delivery uniforms yeah yeah it was something I'd been noticing for a long time and it had been sort of like kicking around the office and it actually took a really long time for me to write it but I had just been noticing like so fashion has always had a problem with different kinds of appropriation um, no, <laughs> really, I know. Yeah, it's shocking, but um, there but this was. Is, but this is a class appropriate, like, and it's like yeah, and there's thing. like a yeah, lot of yeah. different kinds. But yeah. there was this thing I noticed where, especially with like Balenciaga and Vetements, although there was also this like, this like firefighter collection at um, at Calvin Klein that like seemed to sort of go beyond just like 
you know, making some jeans look like, like a little beaten up, like you were, you know, yeah, out working yeah, in them. And yeah, it sort yeah. of had this like cosplay vibe to it where it was like you're trying to sort of make these outfits or make these garments look have this like sort of disturbing degree of verisimilitude of what a you know a low-level office worker would be wearing Uh or a delivery person would be wearing um so i yeah i just sort of made this argument that yeah, that, that that is something that is happening and it involves this sort of like one-sided relationship where mm-hmm. the upper class customer who's buying this stuff, who's buying, you know, a $600 polo shirt that looks almost exactly like a DHL delivery person's polo shirt, wants to have some of the authenticity of being a member of, you know, not the 1%, the, you know, much mm. maligned. And I feel feel so bad for the 1%. <laughs> they put up with so much. Um, dragged. Everyone's, and no one understands them. No one's willing to listen to them. Um, no, I'm just kidding. They're bad. Um, <laughs> but they want, they kind of simultaneously want the authenticity of like sort of absolving themselves of this like privileged identity while maintaining their power over yeah, people yeah, yeah. in, you know, you know, working class people, even like lower middle class people, because I think it kind of gets into like lower middle class mm-hmm. aesthetics too. Mm-hmm. Um, where you're still in a position of power because you are like buying this status symbol. And there's always one thing that gives it away. Uh-huh. Like even the Vetmont's Vetmont's DHL T-shirt fits slightly differently, and it's sure. like a little longer. And there's like yeah, a logo yeah, yeah, on the back, yeah, yeah. so you still you have to look very closely to um, to like figure it out or like identify it as like the class symbol that it is and you also right. probably wouldn't be legible unless you were a member of that class or you yeah, know the yeah, group of about... people who know what vetmont's is who are like <clears throat> pretty diverse i think you can have like i mean i can't afford their clothing and i've known who they are for a while because i'm on the internet yeah but yeah but yeah that's that's interesting because you in the in the piece too you were talking about the kind of it needs a uh there needs to be like a recognizable element, which is both that like you need to obviously create this facsimile of this working class thing. But right. There's got to be, it has to be a little bit uncanny and that uncanniness yeah. can only be noticeable to somebody with the access to know that like, well, this cut is just a little bit longer or this right. thing is like, it's slightly different. And so you know that it's not a, cause I mean, I, I remember being younger and it was like, you'd find a, at the thrift store, like a, um, I don't even know what those, like kind of like a baseball coach looking jacket, you know what I'm talking right, about? It would be yeah, from like yeah. some town, like a couple towns over something. You just kind of like, and it was like kind of like, Hey, look at this weird, funny object that I found. But when it's recreated or something and it's just a little bit fancier than the kind of the parole will think, mm-hmm. Oh, interesting that you're wearing a DHL shirt. But then like your, your friend from Lucian, Right. Be like, well, that's oh no, my god, no, illusion. <laughs> yeah, talked about that. Before. And I think the perverse thing is that, like, the moment of suspension between looking at someone, noticing what they're wearing, and sorting mm. whether they're actually wearing coveralls because they work in a job that makes mm. them wear coveralls, or they're wearing coveralls because they bought them at like, I don't know, like Peels or something. Yeah, it's like people. There's a pleasure in 
suspending that moment for as long as possible uh-huh. that you how have close to, can you get to, how close yeah. can you get and i think i mean this is something i didn't keep in the piece because i felt like it was sort of hard to defend but <laughs> i have a small, small well you're an editor so it's right, good for right. you to i mean it's like not it's, the breaks it's not but you um, say it on here <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's not it's not like a it's not like a fact it's like a loose theory but i was like doing some reading on marie antoinette's fake rustic village do you know about this no oh my god it's like just this the apex of this thing that we're talking about um marie antoinette because she was stressed by court life in made had made a fake rustic village uh-huh. she had a little like shitty cottage she dressed up as a milkmaid in a muslin dress and like a little straw bonnet and she would milk cows that were cleaned for her <laughs> by her staff and so she would like go and it was near versailles but it was like made it was like a theme park basically it was a theme park literally, for her to it's like play you said earlier, it's literally cosplay oh, it was, yeah. she was cosplaying as a peasant and the funny thing was like while she was cosplaying as a peasant peasant's were starving or the, the people she was referencing were yeah. starving. And I think there's this thing at moments of high economic inequality where <laughs> that form of like the forms of the way people do that encroaches more and more mm-hmm. on like reality. Like you have to be pretty bold in your position to be yeah. like, I'm going to dress up as a milkmaid. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's making me feel, no i mean i think i've i don't know if i've ever put this into something that i was writing but i've definitely like accused maybe i have but i've definitely accused people of like cosplaying poverty or like cosplaying bohemia like yeah. it's a very new york it's very uh much a thing and i you know interestingly to tie this back to chainsaw carving oh jeez uh is it dick so dickies did something with Barney's? Am I oh, remembering correctly? No, that was no. that was a a Vetmont's Carhartt Carhartt top sorry, Carhartt. that sold for I think a thousand eighty five dollars. Okay, but Carhartt recut their line, right? And did like a fancier thing that was yeah. in a window in New York City. So Carhartt has normal Carhartt, Carhartt yeah. WIP, which is bougie Carhartt, Works. and then they did this capsule collection with Vetmont's. Okay. I'm not sure if it actually stands for version, <laughs> but it sounds like that. But I remember now that there was I swear to God, there's a New York Times article about this, but this like artist collective of like you know bad boys from like the pacific northwest like iowa to oregon or something they're called um paintalica like metallica <laughs> but paintalica and it's they're like they're cool like nice people it's like danito who's this great painter and all these different people and i think they all met in like college in iowa or something but one of them is like a crazy chainsaw carver and that's like he really? does live chainsaw carvings at their shows or something but they I think, I swear to God, and if I'm wrong, I really apologize, but they did the um, visual merchandising display for the Carhartt recut collection that was like on like Fifth Avenue in a window or so. So there was this really? like weird, I remember when that came out and it was just like, this like, colla- like every, I was just like, this is confusing as shit. Yeah. And then when I just tweeted a picture of myself wearing this Carhartt jacket that Claire and I must have seen at like an Army Navy surplus in Tucson. And I don't know if it was like a reject piece that was somewhere between a regular Carhartt jacket and a like a more slimmer cut or something. But the the torso of it is very slim cut, but uh-huh. the sleeves are humongous and poofy. And I look 
like such a fucking idiot. And I tweeted something like, you know, sometimes, you know, it's a little bit more expensive, but I really, you know, I recommend anybody. It's like worth it to get something tailored to like fit your unique body type. But it was just like outrageous. And I was like, oh my God. who is this cut for? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe it was an accident. Like both the factories got their wires crossed and like oh where they're being made. And there was one that was like, well, we cut the torso, right? But we sewed the arms on from a regular Carhartt jacket or something. Yeah, we did. We did like the hot fashion Carhartt. It was like outrageous. Like the arms were so fucking like beefy. And the thing was so like I could barely zip it up. And I was just like, and it was like too short for me. And I was like, who is this designed for? It's but, Yeah, no, it's probably like this, right? One of the sort I mean, of maybe like. Maybe that's a look. I don't know. I don't know enough to know if that's a look actually. Actually, from your description, I can tell you I know exactly what that is. And it costs $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> it ended up there by mistake. I hope you bought it because if you resell it <laughs> on Grailed, you'll make ten thousand dollars. Well, as soon as I tweeted the picture too, I was just like, I bet the joke's on me. Like, I bet this is exactly what this is supposed to look like. I'm just, a, I'm stupid and I don't know how to wear it. No, but I feel like that's the thing. It's like it creates all of this misapprehension about like what <laughs> is actually a Carhartt jacket you're buying at an army Navy surplus store. And right. when you've like accidentally walked into like the bougie Carhartt, mm-hmm. like in, yeah. 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 Cause really I tried, weird. I tried on some Carhartt in, um, I think maybe they had both of the lines. I was in Colorado. My sisters lived there at Christmas time. And I went to this like, um, for lack of a better term like a like a racist outlet store what <laughs> like like, wait what about it what about it was, it was like a well um they had like you know a lot of t-shirts that were about how like if you don't like stand up during the national anthem oh, like fuck. i'll literally mow you down with my gun um they holy had like shit AR, you know how they have those um barbecue lighters that have like a trigger and uh-huh. they're long like a longer tip they had those but they were ar-15s um at like the checkout and lots of different things like that but then you know but it was like a farm supply store so you could go and you could buy all the stuff but they but they were catering to a very particular like rural colorado lifestyle right. not the kind of like craft brewery this type of like legalized marijuana colorado this like what is a lot of colorado which is like rural white people and um but they had a lot of carhartt stuff and there was a mixture though there was some of the stuff where i was just like oh my god these are like skinny jeans but yeah. they're carhartt pants and then other ones that i was just like these are like jankos like, i don't know it was all over the map that's all over the map that's horrible i still am like thinking oh, about that was, t-shirt that's yeah. just like awful <clears throat> oh that was just one of them there were a lot of them i took a lot of photos i can oh, show Jesus. you later if you want <laughs> um who uh Who's writing outside of, we talked about a couple of people that you work with at Garage, but who's writing outside of sort of like the visosphere? Do you kind of find interesting in this way that people are, I mean, I, I am not a journalist or a, or that kind of writer, so I don't know what to call it, but I will say like, you do what write, type uh, of art uh, write a lot though. I, that's not journalism. That doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It does it's matter. pointless, but but like whose, whose stuff do you admire who can kind of maybe do the same type of approach that you're doing, which is all these giving a critical eye to things that are like a broad swath from very important cultural stuff to like shit i'm gonna write about this um i didn't know who this guy was but the gold chicken wing thing that you wrote about and he's like oh my a, god he's jonathan chibin okay he's like a kardashian adjacent he's um, hilarious he, he his face is hilarious his face looks like a mask it's fake. that he's glued to his face <laughs> yeah no he's the worst um but but besides besides that oh like other writers yeah, like whose who's stuff is who should people be checking out because i'm like in, hmm. i'm increasingly interested in this stuff because i 
even like it's a super dorky um and like not cool thing to reference but i remember like the first time when i was younger and like i got like uh like a chuck klosterman book and i was just like and he was writing about the real world but really like philosophically and i was like oh my god it's brilliant and now that i'm older i'm just like i don't know if he's that good of a writer but yeah who should people be looking at yeah um well i am i allowed to say that you mentioned gia tolentino before yeah 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 Yeah. we were talking about her before yeah yeah gia tolentino is amazing and i can read anything she writes i mean it's like you just never would think that the new yorker would run a story on the fascist implications of Thomas the Tank Engine. And then she just does it, and you're like, I'm convinced by this. I'm utterly convinced. Um, it's, it's just, like, perfect. It's really fun writing. She was on the Brian Lehrer show a little while ago yeah. about the jeweling thing. And oh, my I, God. I follow Brian Lehrer on Twitter, and he was like, up next, uh, Gia Tolentino. And he's like, we're going to talk about jeweling. And I was like, Brian Lehrer's going to talk about it. I immediately turned it on and listened to it. But, yeah, That's really... Incredible. But yeah, it was we we were discussing this. But yeah, that kind of writing where it's like one week it's an expose on like the teen jeweling epidemic. That's like, what level of irony are you on, teens? They don't even right. know, kind of thing. And then the next week it's like a a pretty solid like takedown of these arguments about the redistribution of sex for incels, which is just like I mean, yeah. but like rapid fire, right? Like and within... she can like her range of what she can do as a journalist is like yeah. she can profile someone, she can just do like a really good critical analysis of something. Um, I also, I mean, I guess I feel like this is just people I like and not necessarily people who are like writing on a lot of different subjects, but I love like Joe Livingstone, Doreen St. Felix is like amazing. Everything she writes is just like a home run and really great. I also really like Nomi Fry because she's like, she's like mad smart and funny. Yes. And the last two that you just mentioned, I follow both of them on Twitter and they're both very good at Twitter too. Yeah. I think it's very (laughs) helpful to be, I feel like it's like a really compatible skill set like when yeah like i think you learn from twitter what i feel i sometimes feel like writing is like backing a car into like a really narrow parallel parking space and then like you sometimes realize when you're halfway in that the angle you're at that you've like the way you've started doesn't work yeah and you have to go back out and start again and i feel like Mm. twitter is just like doing that yeah (laughs) because you just have so few words and you're like okay every single word needs to somehow angle what i'm saying yeah in this way i i love it just for like the i love the economy of the comedy that happens on it and the way that it's restructured um the way that we understand jokes like i don't i maybe have talked about this before but i like that i can now process jokes um in the format of the way that Jeopardy works. Yeah. I can read the punchline from the quote tweet and be like, oh my God, what are they dragging? And read right. the, read like the thing that's like the burn and then read the, the setup is secondary. Yeah. Like what they're, it's kind of wild that that's like, I mean, it's changing the way that people are thinking. Yeah. I oh, wait, I have one more writer who I yeah, forgot. Yeah, yeah, Go ahead. Um, Philippa Snow, who writes for Garage. I mean, I feel like I don't, don't want to like don't just know, like but... boost only. I mean, everyone who writes for Garage is great. Philippa has written really great. She writes a lot of book reviews and film reviews for us, but okay. she can write really like critical literary analysis. And she also wrote this piece on Spring Breakers that was just like, like so hilarious, but so sharp cool yeah i after i read it i like (laughs) um i like was reading it to copy edit it and it was like totally fine and i and it was the first time i'd seen it but it was about to be published and 
I just like um like G chatted Rachel, who's my uh coworker um a picture of a video of like larry bird shooting three pointers all in a row and i was like this is this piece it's just you're just like draining buckets yeah yeah yeah. like at, at those like contests where you see how many you can get in a row do you think um and i'm asking this from a place of admitted ignorance because like i said i don't know a ton about journalism at all but is this a is this a generational thing that people who are very sharp often pretty witty writers are tackling things that maybe you could think of as sort of like on a lateral um in in an approach to culture that's very lateral like being able to write about a really like being able to write about um the politics of race in the united states of america and then on a dime flip around and talk about like this weird kind of poppy thing i mean i'm i'm sure that there are precursors for this and i'm just an idiot but it seems to me like that's a really interesting thing that's happening right now is somebody's just like, I'm clearly like a brilliant person, but I'm going to write about this totally inane thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but beautifully, right. you know, and in this way that it's, uh, just, you've given quite a few examples, but is that a, is that a now thing or are there like, is there a history of that? And I'm, uh, I mean, I'm an uninformed person yeah. in general. <laughs> I'm trying to think, I don't know. You're not, um, I'm not, I'm probably, I want to say it's like a now thing, kind of like you said, like the way the way you sort of come into contact with culture and cultural analysis and cultural criticism is like, you know, everyone's sort of doing it in small and big ways, like all the time. So if you're yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the things you could write about are like pretty immediate Mm -hmm. and you don't necessarily have to go. Yeah, I think I think it is kind of a now thing. I'm trying to think of like historical examples of people who just sort of could do this and I. I don't know. I think all I'm coming up with is like Barth like mythologies, but that isn't really journalism. <laughs> it's like it's just like writing about a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But that's that's yeah. uh I think it's really nice. I think it's sort of um I mean, obviously it's hard to develop. I think there's also something that's still really important about specialization and you will do a better job reporting on city council if you have been reporting on city mm-hmm. council for five years and mm-hmm. you have relationships with people sure. and you know people will talk to you. But um but as but, like a culture writer, it seems like instead yeah. of seeing um, like a, a humongous stratosphere through which like things exist at different levels, that it is a, a little bit more like people are willing to to look at things as equal. I, yeah, like why? And, and it's like, why wouldn't you? I mean, if you were trying to write only really like highbrow cultural criticism of like, you know, it's it's like you don't... Ballet. Right, right. And you can write something awesome about ballet, but I think, I don't know, I think you got to sort of, yeah, it's funny. I, like, I think of... it's part of it is like being where people are at. And there, are, I feel like there are like a couple different struggles happening in journalism. And one of them is like whether you go for like, you know, like the ways the ways the literary or like journalistic landscape is changing like you there's like the sense that you always have to go for like low-hanging fruit mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. clickbait and like this celebrity's butt like <clears throat> broke a boat today <laughs> whoa i would read that which happened yeah. um, what? <laughs> no, just kidding um <laughs> well i wonder if it's i think about it a lot too and i think about it as like um like tabs yeah like just that i have all these tabs on my browser and i'm accessing <clears throat> Everything that I'm getting to is through this screen, like on these different tabs or things like that. So like I, I could very well have like 
a fucking Deleuze PDF open in one tab, and then in Ooh, the other one I'm watching um, a PDF. I just want to talk about. I was, I just want to put on record that I coined the term um, or coined the thing that you accuse someone of in a panel the next time you're on a panel feel free mm-hmm. to use this just know that it's like i invented it but accusing someone of trying to weaponize deleuze i think is a <gasps> hilarious thing to do oh, even apropos of nothing don't even if they didn't do it i think but, that's great but it sounds everyone will think that they have to agree with you or understand what you said by accusing them of trying to weaponize deleuze and everyone will be like mm, interesting oh my god no <laughs> but, that's amazing no, that's no, a good call but no i'm sorry <laughs> but the, the tab thing this is so fucking stupid it's not a tab thing but it's just right. literally like the the but way that all... i access all this stuff is through a very specific device it's different than in previous times when if i were a a person of means and i would go to the theater to see plays and then i would uh, get books from this place or this thing or that thing. I mean, it's all through a device. So, of course, it becomes like it's one information feed. So, why wouldn't I kind of think yeah. as critical? It's it's not about dumbing things down. I think it's about using yeah. the faculties of critical thinking to look at stuff that, like, by design, by being pop culture, is meant to be a spectacle or a distraction and not actually meant to be taken apart that way. So, it's kind yeah. of cool to do that. I don't know. Yeah, like I think it's, it's, cool. like, it's like, why wouldn't you want? It's it's just like we we're strongly in support of smoking, especially if you're 16. Yeah, you should be. Yeah. Oh my god. No, that... no one should. My mom gets mad at me when I. Oh, when I feel like tell, she's gonna listen. When you to tell this. people that they um, should smoke, everyone should. I haven't smoked in a long time. Yeah, I quit smoking. I don't Good. smoke anymore. Yeah. Um. I feel like why wouldn't you want the things that you're paying attention to in pop culture to be something? you're thinking about critic i mean because there's yeah, always yeah. something more there like you will always be rewarded by spending a little bit of time like thinking about something or someone else thinking about it for you so you don't have to do it and it gets rid of yourself. the it gets rid of um i i guess now that we're talking about this i'm thinking like i haven't really heard anybody describe something as a or or in much less frequently have i heard people describe stuff as guilty pleasures Right. Like people are kind of open about just like, which is fine because it's like kind of cool. Like, I don't know. Like, I fucking love Westworld. It's uh-huh. not, a, I don't know if it's a good TV show, but I fucking love it. And like, <laughs> I love to talk about it. I like to think about it. But I like to think about it the same way that I would think about like a fucking painting or an art show. Like, I'm just interested in it as a, as a thing. And I want to like dive into it and like have fun and use the skills or whatever that I've developed to like pick it apart and think about it. And that's like, I feel, isn't that like what liberal arts literally is supposed to be right. <laughs> yeah. teaching people to be able to do? So it's kind of like, but I get what you're saying that the crisis is existential crisis in journalism of like the low hanging fruit or the clickbait or something, but, but you don't the, have to do, I feel like that's no. like a sort of false thing. I think the larger problem is like economic pressures on journalism, yeah. but I think the problem with that isn't like pop culture or reading things that you know, writing things that people find entertaining. I think the problem with that is just like journalism is a field where there's not as much money to go around. So yeah, people get underpaid. But... Mm, it sounds like the art world. It sounds Fuck exactly me. like the art world. <laughs> no, it's like all that. Everything is fucking worst. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's <clears throat> it's funny too because we were we were talking earlier about and and this is a different thing. This is like um I I'm trying to think of my verbiage correctly because I am absolutely not trying to be like diminutive or make some the idea of writing about pop culture critically and thoughtfully is a different kind of attempt to like lateralize than a company that sells shirts for like a million fucking dollars just grabbing and yanking from what they perceive as lower culture that's a different like because the power relationship is different like if you are i mean as long as you're like doing your due diligence as a writer and you're like you know 
being you know transparent and ethical but like you will yeah yeah, you if you are like writing about things that you know you're not just like yeah yeah no it's cool it's not even it's yeah it's the difference of i mean in neither of those situations is a thing where somebody's like punching down it's a different it's like it's like yoinking up does that make sense <laughs> like, no, people can't see the Hell hand gesture yeah. but it's like yoinking up which is a kind of like soft neoliberal way of punching down right. but there's oh like d- what what big companies are yeah doing they're with, just like yeah. yoink right right they're like, yeah i remember yeah i probably shouldn't say this <laughs> but um uh like i remember seeing like fashion brands uh-huh. getting people i knew on social media to make memes and i was like sort of like memes <laughs> Like, what are you doing? And it, I think a it, meme is born organically. A meme you is born organically. You can't commission memes from someone. You can't commission a meme. I did start well, a new I meme page, yeah. and no one follows it yet. <laughs> I only have one meme, but well, it's like very niche. Are they? Is this like an aggregated meme thing, or you're no, making no? I, I, no okay. I, if I, someone else made a meme on this topic, I would love them to send it to me, but I what don't think it? anyone will. It's called Henry James Meme Cove. Excuse me, Henry James. Who's that? He's, I should know. No, no, he's he's a he's was a, he a revolutionary soldier? No, he's fuck. I, fuck. I wish. Um, no, um, he is a writer who he's my favorite author right now. I okay. think, and he wrote. Um, he's American, but he also spent a lot of time in Europe. And he wrote, kind of around the end of the 19th century. And he, um, the most famous story is Turn of the Screw, which is Turn like a ghost story. But he Ooh. also wrote. I mean, and he just like, I have sort of become obsessed with him because he's this person who like, I don't know. A lot of people who I think are more like literary or smarter than me really like him. So I didn't want to read him for a while. Mm. And then I did. And I realized that I like love him. Um, But he also is like incredibly dense to read. And he starts, he restarts his sentences in the middle of the sentence, like compulsively. (laughs) So he's just, I don't know. I've been making Henry James. Henry James's dank meme stash. Henry James's dank meme stash. Pretty much. That's cool. Uh, (laughs) um, Do you write fiction too? Or do you um, mostly just do journalism? I mostly do journalism. I wrote fiction for Callie Mathias's, uh awesome reading series called mm-hmm. Small Claims, which is like yeah. very cool. Um, love Callie. I love Callie too, but I don't write a ton of fiction. I kind of wish I could, um, but it seems like, I feel like it's one of these things where it like seems like it would be a compatible skill set, writing fiction and nonfiction, but... I actually find it really, really hard. It's fucking tough, right? It's fucking tough. Do you write fiction? Uh, I mean, I Callie and I actually read it. Um, Peter B. D.'s book oh, release, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Milk and Henny, which if anybody's listening, Peter B. D.'s a fucking kick-ass poet, and Milk and yeah. Henny is a cool book. It's on uh, imprint, um, right? That's Mitch's label. I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Impatient? Impatient Press. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Imprint. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. Impatient Press, but yeah, you should buy Milk and Henny. But anyways, yeah, Callie and I read it, and I wrote a... Uh, a fiction short story for it and i oh, was nice. like freaking out you know, i was like yeah what liter- was it like writing it i mean i just like wrote a i you know what i did i used the architecture of like a, a journalistic profile oh nice like it was a profile it was like a fake profile for a magazine about this like ne'er-do-well like infant to read like artist that was based on many people that i know um and just sort of like it was meant to be a profile about this like psychopathic uh, or rather sociopathic person um and meant to be like sort of funny like i didn't enjoy the writing but it, it was fiction but i just used the vehicle of like a thing that i've written it before you right. know what i mean like right, I use right, it. Right. and then but that own... also kind of works i feel like you think like one of the stories by henry james that i read 
um, that I really like called The Spoils of Point. And I got to the end and I found out it was sort of inspired by a news story that he read. And he yeah. read this news story of this like crazy like family battle over like the inheritance of a set of furniture. And he just wrote a... But like it is, you know, it did start with... I feel like it's fine to start yeah. with something real. That makes me... I was, I'm sorry. I was just looking at my phone because I was um, glancing at something. But this... Uh, Writer Ross Simonini, I think is how you say his last name, sent me a book. Um, and it was all, it was like an interview. For, it's a fiction. It's a novel. But it's uh, all through the interview format, which I thought was very, hmm. it was like a good vehicle for it. But at the same time, I was also like, did Ross send me this because I interview people and he wants me to develop like a fucking, huh. <laughs> like a problem with myself or something. But anyways, but yeah, I mean, the only yeah. other thing that I've ever tried to write that was fiction was you actually acted in it. Oh it was right! The play that I wrote. Oh, it was <laughs> you, so funny. You were you were Beth, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Beth with like six H's, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that. But that again, I mean, that was like a. It's writing fiction scary. I admire people who can do it. I'm like very, yeah. um, or I don't know if you know the writer Amelia Gray, but Amelia's great, and I had her on an episode a long time ago, like very early on in the podcast. But she's just she writes these great short stories and writes these kind of like she has an imaginative. Sort of, I guess you'd call it a novel, but her most recent thing was about Isadora Duncan. Um, oh, nice. And like a, a telling of this portion in her life, but dramatized and kind of whatever. But just, I'm just like, where the fuck do you... I know this is like a stupid question to ask, but like literally where the fuck do people come up with this stuff? I have no idea. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, seriously. Just, what are you fuck? And also like, how do you get over the like, I'm sorry, but if I read a fiction that you wrote and something gross happens in it, I assume... You've that done you it. like can't yeah, like, <laughs> I can't and like I don't know not really but you know what I mean I'm right, just like right. I read something and it's like and people are like you have to separate the author from the work and I'm just like I don't know dude they described this really gnarly fucking gross thing and that right. means that they sat around and thought about it so yeah, like they're yeah. a fucking weirdo and like it's just you really you know you gotta put yourself out there but um, yeah I hope no one reads too much into my short story about a bunch of goats <laughs> mugging me at gunpoint <gasps> a goat mob that's that cool. didn't happen to me <laughs> <laughs> but you've thought about it oh yeah that's a weird thing like that's the embarrassing thing i think about fiction right. is that no yeah it's, vul- you're like, it's more I vulnerable was, you're like i was thinking about this right like, you basically are just like this was in my i was hmm. yeah it's yeah it's a bold maneuver but but also i mean so besides fiction though but you're you're an editor at garage but you also edit uh natasha a oh, yeah. publication with elizabetta right yes um elizabetta elizabetta sorry yeah um will you talk a little bit about natasha and kind of because it's a it's a nonfiction format. Yes. And you ask a couple folks. Well, you, you, yeah. You know yeah. it. I'm so, no, you know it better than me. Um. Yeah. Elizaveta Schneiderman, who is a super awesome like best friend and also like artist and curator. Um, we started Natasha, I think, because we both kind of wanted an outlet for writing, and we sort of were thinking about the the way that like a lot of people who are writers or, or even like artists but have an interest in writing have this like one project that would take a little bit of time and a little bit of research Mm -hmm. and wouldn't really fit into the format of like journalism or art. So they don't really do it. So we um, started this publication and it's called Natasha because Elizaveta um, wanted to have a friend named Natasha when she was a kid and she just never did. So Mm -hmm. like made the publication as her friend, which I think is like incredibly sweet and cool. Um, But so the way we structure it is we sort of contact two people um, per issue and develop a question for them. And then they go perform some um, 
original research on it and write it up in sort of many different formats. Some of them have been more like creative nonfiction, like first person. Some have been more analytical. Some have, you know, been more sort of a typical like research paper. But um, yeah, it's really great. So the latest issue has an essay by Aileen um, Isagon Skyers on interface design and skeuomorphism and the ways that sort of different different forms of interface design over time have sort of offered different visions of reality and kinship and empathy. Um, and then Chanel Adams, who is super amazing, wrote an essay on the colonization of um, pharmacological materials in Madagascar by by the French and Pharmacy Gassi, um, which is like the Malagasy sort of healing tradition and the epistemologies of different ways of healing. Jesus. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. I'm... I'm serious shit it's very she (laughs) has been doing research on it in marseille and in madagascar i think for a few years um and she's based in marseille and yeah i mean it was like that was i just feel really like lucky that she wrote it for us because it's like you know it's like a serious body of research for her then i think she's like continuing with it um and it's just really yeah and they're not it's meant an, and they're not meant to be like point counterpoint yeah or like no, this, no. That, it's like it's there's sort of like a theme but it's like it's yeah there's just not a really a theme that... it's just like yeah i think the way elizabeth and i wanted to do it was to show some range within them both of subject matter and methodology that you know um chanel's involves some analysis some history some ethnography and aileen's but also involves like a lot of research, but feels more kind of like a like an essay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Was there a was there a precursor of something that you two uh, saw previously that you were longing to kind of like make your own version of, or was it more like a I wish there was this? I think it was like I wish. I think we just wanted to make something together. Yeah. Uh, it was soon after we both <clears throat> moved to New York, and we were like, I think I don't know. I think we were both in sort of feeling like we didn't have a ton of creative outlets but we wanted them and the first issue we were going to do um because like it was important to us at the beginning to like make sure we like paid our writers but like the first issue we're like ah, well let's just do it ourselves and then then we are our own writers so we're not like Mm -hmm. you know but then that was just like really hard (laughs) or like we were also trying to do like design and stuff so it, it just didn't really like and then we're like, nope, we need to get other writers. And the way we structure the the payment is like an advance. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, um, I still like want to pay writers more, but the advance is sort of meant to, like, if they're going out and performing new research, yeah, yeah. it's like a little bit. Um, well, yeah. it's just like, a, it's a gesture, it's a commitment, and it's like a, hey, you know, like that's a wonderful thing uh, yeah. to do. And yeah, you two also... Um, for anybody who I don't know why you don't own this, but if you don't own Anna Fabrega's The Truth oh, About Pangea Two, the best uh, book in the world, you do wrote the also the longest book. It's longer than War and Peace. Fuck off. It's two thousand pages. <laughs> I have the I have uh, I tweeted a picture of this the other day. I have Stephen King's unedited, unabridged version of The Stand, which oh my is God. Um, I think it's it's longer than Ulysses. I don't know if it, I think it's longer than War and Peace. Because it's like, it's like 1,800 pages or something. Holy shit. It's like nuts. But um, yeah, you two wrote the the foreword to the preface. To, I don't know. You guys wrote some crazy fucking intros to yeah. Anna's last book. We wrote were, some nested, yeah. nested, uh, yeah. Very, very Introductory fun. So, material. And that was uh, the first time that I saw um, the two of your 
stuff together and then when you're like oh we're doing this thing afterwards i was like that makes sense yeah because <laughs> <Okay. Yeah. laughs> I, no I didn't quite realize when Anna was like i you know because i knew you but i didn't know it was Veta um well before this at all and she was like yeah they're gonna write these two things and i didn't realize you two were in like fucking cahoots when you we're, were doing this when i got them i was like what the fuck is this shit like and was like dying but uh yeah that's you know yeah and she did her borzoi presentation it's cool yeah <laughs> Um, um, no, Elisabetta, yeah, is amazing. And I think we're good collaborators because um, we have like, you know, we like have different things, but also <laughs> this is just coming out like ridiculous, but we're like, um, we both care a lot about doing it and we have like different enough sort of like thoughts about it that I think we complement each other. Yeah. Um, so the last thing that I wanted to ask you about was in a barn burner of an expose that you mm-hmm. wrote about the reboot of the Jersey Shore. Um, <laughs> and I just wanted you to talk a little bit about the way, because we've been sort of referencing these uh, ways of approaching writing about something that people would typically like dismiss, but therein those pop culture things are you know clearly like the reflections of all the things that we don't like about ourselves or about our culture all these things like that and you you adopted kind of an idea of um and it's called family vacation the Mm -hmm. reboot yeah it's jersey shore family vacation jersey shore family vacation you sort of adopted the you looked at it through the lens of like the greek tragedy um and and where they are now but but you have a special kind of relationship to the Jersey Shore, being, yeah. a, being a, a Jersey girl. I'm from New Jersey, and if it bothers you, get used to it, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> if only vanity plates could be longer. <laughs> I know, I know. There's, um, New Jersey is sort of like the fertile crescent of vanity plates, along oh. with machine politics and uh, transit scandals. Yeah, transit scandals. Big there, yeah. You know where else has a shitload of vanity plates? Virginia. Oh, I bet. It costs like no money. It's like $5 or something. Really? To get one. So yeah, everywhere when I lived in Richmond, everybody had a vanity plate, but... Um, one of my friends once saw a vanity plate in Rhode Island that just said one. Wow, <laughs> That's nice. how small Rhode Island is. <laughs> That's cool. You can just be like, yeah, I'd like one. They're like, no one has done that before. Um, were you a... Okay, so, I mean, you were living in New Jersey when the Jersey Shore yes. launched. Was I mean, what was your... Were you offended? What was your... <laughs> no, but it also sort of like... I mean, this is like the sort of weird thing to say- parse. Like, I'm not Italian-American. Um I, you know, I, I'm you not like even anywhere close to like a Guido or a Guidat. Um, so it kind of wasn't for me to be, I mean, sure. I, I thought it was like nuts, but I actually, I, I think I really liked it and I watched it. Um, I think the first time I got drunk, I might've come home and I know, I don't think I was watching Jersey Shore, but it was like around that time. Mm. Um, and I thought, so I came in expecting not to like it or thinking it would be total shit, but there are like these like glowing heroic personalities in it. Mm. And like the main one is like, so Snooki, like Snooki mm-hmm. is the emotional core of the show. Yeah. Um, but there's also, I mean, it's like a pretty, there are a lot of things that are fucked up about it. It's like pretty intensely homophobic, even though there are a lot of like a few bi characters on the show, it's still pretty biphobic. Yeah. Deanna's bi or like Deanna, I think, you know, has encounters with both men and women, but it's always sort of like presented as like, Oh, she's drunk. Um, mm. and then, but it sort of like descends in Italy, which is, I haven't seen all of Italy, but into this like 
really dark thing where like they're all like two of the characters are sort of in an abusive relationship like mm-hmm. Sammy and Donnie like their relationship is like extremely volatile everything boils over in Italy and like the original Jersey Shore because it's like framed the way it is where everything's sort of like cartoonish or slapstick or like yeah. there's like a pratfall like none of the women who anyone has sex with have like faces yeah <laughs> like yeah, sometimes said, literally sometimes they always, they get, well they always disappear like they're never shown leaving the next morning right. or like there's always the hookups are always like a it's like a buster keaton they like right. fa- they fall out of bed and right. like no, hit the ground exactly. drunk and it's there's like, so many instances is... where someone hits the ground drunk or someone gets like pulled out of bed or someone like you know um but the way On, the like, show night vision <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and there's always like the night vision cam um um but on the first one it's framed just so like slapstick and so yeah, grotesque yeah. it's like a sex farce so you can't there's really no the show doesn't provide any scaffolding to evaluate what's happening as it's as if it's real like mm. it's terrible things happen in the show but the show doesn't allow them to be real enough for mm. you to fully grasp how terrible they are okay yeah um, no, that's oh. <laughs> yeah i mean but in family vacation um everyone's sort of coming back together they're in a nicer house the show is better produced the lighting is less like lurid i think mm. just on a simple art direction level yeah, they're not yeah. wearing as many neons <laughs> <laughs> they are it's true um and the they situation all have, is sober the situation right? is sober yeah. And everyone, I mean, three or four cast members have children and a lot of them are married. Situation sober, like Ronnie has a kid on the way. So they all have something to lose and they're coming together. Mm -hmm. Their family is not there and they just spiral back into their old habits. Yeah, yeah. But now that the kind of grotesque sex farce framing is like mostly gone because it doesn't really work anymore. You just are seeing what they're doing for what it is. And it's like horrifying yeah somewhat like there's this moment where snooki like ronnie is um oh my god i called him donnie before i should like I'm oh whatever well my... just retroactively More ronnie retro- donnie i i knew who you meant it didn't right. even register with me but. um yeah ronnie is um like gets drunk with like some girls and brings them back brings some tub, girls right? back yeah. he gets drunk on something called ron ron juice which is, is like watermelon drink it's a signature drink it has like watermelon in it but like also a ton of booze um so he brings these girls back and it's like very clear he's like drunk enough that he's probably gonna hook up with one of them and jeopardize he's in a, his and relationship he's, in a relationship, he's yes. in a relationship with a woman who's seven months pregnant he said he's gonna be on this straight and narrow in jersey Sh- like he's like this vacation will not will not stand in the way of me and my girlfriend uh-huh. and it's very clear at this point like <laughs> that he's gonna hook up with one of these girls so what Snooky does um is she goes into the kitchen and she like basically spikes their drinks mm. like she makes them super super strong drinks because she's like we need to get out. these women out of the picture uh-huh. and it's horrible yeah, i mean it's yeah, like yeah, 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 kind yeah. of funny but you're like this is not this is not feminist you're incapacitating <laughs> women Snooki, this is not Snooki, this is baseline not feminist and um i don't know it's like you just realize that like they are willing to do pretty immoral things to protect each other like the yeah. family unit yeah, is like, like a tribal the, quality to it yeah exactly yeah. like she needs to preserve she's the major Ronnie's, she's like the, yeah, she's the mother right? head yeah. wow. and she's willing to like to like incapacitate these random girls just to preserve like ronnie's moral standing mm-hmm. in her eyes and it is him <laughs> and, and you're like what the fuck like yeah, that's terrible that's very that's a very like 
Yep, that's that's right out of the playbook of like like the like a Greek tragedy where like a mother's going to poison. It's like the Oresteia, like, yeah. yeah. Just like, yeah, like, like my you... my son cannot marry this woman, so I'm going to poison her. Or right, so, like, right. It's, exactly. Yeah, and that's like the logical. That's the way that the mind works. Instead of being like, I could talk to my son and say, Hey, you're right. already married to this other woman. Don't marry this woman too, or something. But no, it, would, right, right. it makes for better reading if you poison. And the f- <laughs> familial bonds are so much stronger yeah. than other bonds that they make other bonds irrelevant like or any obligation they have to these like other women who are like npcs in the show it's just like nothing yeah they become i mean but it's it's funny like just that as a singular example is a way to i think kind of interestingly look at a piece of something that is you know largely if you asked people in general what do you think it's trash like that's what Mm -hmm. people right that's what people would say and then some people like secretly watch it or this thing but it's you can look at it and just what you were saying about um and maybe you can refresh my memory but the first season that the way that it was structured was such that you never got a chance to like process what they were actually doing like yeah there wasn't really like it didn't happen in a in like a moral universe okay yeah and i would say and, and that, the second and then reboot happens in a moral universe uh-huh. somewhat because they reference their families and their yeah, obligations yeah, yeah. Yeah. often. And wow. And that's a I mean, the funny thing is that seems like like the Jersey Shore seems like this trite thing. But you can if you look at it critically and thinking about it in that way, then you can uh, I guess the terrifying thing is that you can kind of see that you obviously see some of yourself or you see this in other parts of culture or something and trying to think about like, oh, when do I operate in it? It makes me think of like the artist residency. Mm-hmm. is like not a moral universe like right. it's that's like the joke about like Skowhegan in Maine which is like the big one that's the right. one that like everybody wants to get into and it, there's just like a thing that everybody knows who's an artist that if you get into Skowhegan and you are in a relationship like that relationship will no longer exist by the time that you exit Skowhegan wait really so I guess it does exist in a moral universe I'm getting confused but you know what I'm saying like it's like this this thing but where it's you a, go it's an area of suspension yeah and you go and it's just like I mean you know I, I think that's kind of like the that's the funny thing is like the yeah residencies maybe for writers and artists are basically like their reality tell their jersey shore they get to go and do this i mean was, was yeah. this, was someone a, should make a show yeah, yeah there's a five there's, singles yeah. go to scout Hegan. oh my god yeah but they also have to like get up for critique and stuff chris um, is applying to stottle school oh my really god <laughs> there's one guy who won't stop saying kunst instead of art and everybody's oh getting all pissed at um well aaron thank you so much for coming by and sharing some thoughts on your writing and the way that you tackle stuff it's really fascinating and thanks for the recs on people to check out i hope that people who are listening will continue to read those and also check out the great work that aaron is doing at garage and let yourself get into whatever you think is interesting in pop culture and be okay with that but use your brain right yeah use your brain this is like a mr rogers episode we're (laughs) learning a lesson i'm learning a lesson today i'm gonna bring this to my westworld dm oh my god guys listen here's what i'm thinking now (laughs) yeah i've been watching survivor which is really ripe for like still on tv yeah 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 it's been on for like 30 years it has 36 seasons under its fuck you really sorry i didn't mean to say fuck you (laughs) no no it's but it's like funny because it actually is i mean i I, too much to get into 36 seasons 36 seasons how many seasons of the bachelor there's like 20 something i feel like the bachelor yeah 
But the bachelor was the actually established by the Constitution of the United States of America. <laughs> um, it was laid out along with the emoluments clause. Dude, the bachelor. I used to be in a bachelor. Do you know Nicole Reber? I don't know if you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, Nicole Reber um, invited me to. I was the only boy in it, but it was a... Uh, the Bachelor Fantasy League on Facebook, which was cool. It was right after I moved to New York. I was in this Bachelor Fantasy League, which was pretty fun. And then it was like, it was good. eating up a lot of my time and I had to stop. Um, I was getting too into it. But anyways, uh, Aaron, thank you for coming by. Um, <laughs> looking forward to more of your writing for Garage. Anybody out there, I'll put a, uh, I don't need to put a link to Garage. You can look it up. Look up Garage. Aaron's on it and writes for it a lot. Um, but, uh, garage.vice.com. Garage.vice.com. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks Thank for listening. For having yeah, me. yeah. And to all of you out there, we'll catch you next week. Friday nights are rough, big nights are both. Some neighbors want, and Davey's drunk and never help the people too long. And Chris will finally ride shotgun to navigate. Seems like fun. Drunk and out of gas, we drive around and flash. I drive it through the old yellow. Yeah.